Thanks for checking out the YVF podcast today. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you in whatever season of life you're in. Now here's Pastor Kevin. Well, I'm going to, um, I don't want to do a long introduction because I'll just take up a lot of time and you understand that Kevin and I both have the same name. So I just call him Kevin. So don't get confused. I'm talking, so I'm talking about him, but Kevin and his wife, Kathy, uh, have had, we've had a very many, many, many years relationship with them and, uh, uh, you don't know them, but we have been wanting them to come visit here and minister the Word of God here since we first moved here. They live very far away, and they've driven all the way from Kansas City, really from Independence, Missouri, but we'll just say Kansas City, Kansas City area. And believe you me, I've driven that a lot of times. It's a long way, and uh, we've been having a nice time with them, just spending some time together over the past few days, showing them things around here in this part of the world. And, um, but the reason we wanted them to come is not just because they're such dear friends of ours. And, you know, I said I wouldn't talk long, but I just want to say we've had so many adventures together. I don't even know where to begin to describe them. And when you go through things together and you walk through them together with God, God just just binds you together as brothers and sisters in the Lord. Amen. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to call Kevin up here and we're just going to give him the liberty and the Holy Spirit just to minister. He's the pastor of Independence Christian Center in Independence, Missouri. And if he wants to tell you how long he's been the pastor there, he can, but it's a long time, very faithful and long ministry. Amen. So you got that. It's working. Cool. Well, thank you for that uh, introduction, and we've we're really looking, been looking forward to getting out here, and we have enjoyed our time here. Everyone has been so friendly and, and accepting, and it's it's been uh, it, we're it's been very very good, and it's a very different uh, landscape than that to which we are accustomed. <laughs> to say the least, and, uh, but we're, uh, it's, it's so beautiful out here, it, 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 and we've sent, you know, thank God for modern technology, blessing and curse, and we've been able to take a lot of pictures of just some really beautiful uh, uh, landscape, and caught in western Colorado, caught a sunset with a squall line in the middle of it and everything turning bright red, it was just and we're sending them to friends who are going, oh, 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 like that and everything. But there's a price to be paid for everything. It was brutal in that car on the way in. <laughs> and I brought my forerunner and our five-year-old grandson is traveling with us. And at one point, now this is where you, you learn that how many of you have ever thought something would be awesome and it turned out to be anything but. And you, you, learn, you, you learn some of these things as you mature. And he was saying, let's just pull over and spend the night in the car. And we said, no, Liam, we're not doing that. He goes, it'll be, it'll be awesome. It'll be really fun. He's, you know, like, it, it, clearly, he does not know. Um, and so 
because we, we drove from Kansas City to uh, Vernal, Utah, because he is huge into dinosaurs. You know, all kids pass through the dinosaur phase. He's stuck in it. And, uh, and that turned out to be not as good as what we had hoped. It was fun, you know. But it was, a, it was, a, it was quite a ways. And we got up the next morning and, and made the trip in. And uh, we drove past the Salt Lake City and everything. And it was a great deal of fun. And I've been glad to meet most of you. And I've been, I remember that joke, you know, this is my brother Daryl and this is my other brother Daryl. And I've been introducing myself as your other brother, Kevin. So, but we've, uh, we're, we're, we're very grateful to be here and uh, really excited about it. And there's enough of a time zone distance we, uh, difference. We got to attend most of our own service this morning virtually. So, you know, that's, that, that's probably the only good thing COVID left for us. But at uh, any rate, I want to I talk about the essence of, of worship today, what worship really is, because this is a big deal in our church, and because I believe it is the way forward. I believe it's what God is doing, and by the time I get finished, I hope you'll understand why I say that and how, what I'm calling worship. But to lay the foundation, 20, it'll be 20 years ago, uh, September, I was walking around the auditorium of our church praying, and my wife and I are the founding pastors of our church, and we founded it in 1985, so you can do the math. Uh, we've been there a little while, and we're, we're uh, as I was walking around the auditorium praying, an audible, it was like an audible voice, and I realized everything has to be weighed by Scripture, and so my experience, you know, but I submitted to you, and I'll share a couple with you, how that he had expanded on that. And as I was walking around the auditorium praying, the, uh, the, our sanctuary praying, that the uh, Holy Spirit said, in fact, it was almost a day, almost to the day, a year after 9-11. And he spoke to me and said, I weep for my people who are about to be left behind. And I, and I knew he wasn't talking about the rapture. I knew that it was the king, things in the kingdom were going to begin to accelerate and not everybody was going to, was going to keep up. Well, you know how it is. God speaks to you and you think something's going to happen within the next 15 minutes to an hour. You know, no longer than a month. You know, and here we are nearly 20 years later. And now, just now, we're beginning to see some of these things happen. In late August or early September of 2019, I w we were, I uh, work with our worship team. I lead worship, uh, co-lead it with uh, our music minister. And we were going, doing our pre-service run-through. And as I stood there, and you know when the Lord speaks to you, you remember all the little details, you know. And I was standing behind our <clears throat> my pulpit. I had the mic in my hand. And we were between songs, and I, I, you know, or maybe even at the end, and I was looking over this direction. And when I turned this way and looked toward the back of our sanctuary, I had some sort of revelation. I can't tell you exactly what it was. It was as if I were, the nature of it, that is, as if I were underwater. Now, I'm a scuba diver, so I know what that looks like. And with perfect, absolute perfect uh, clarity, perfect uh, visibility, which never happens when you're scuba diving. And it was, I could see everything around me, and then all at once, everything began to smear 
as I began to move forward through it very quickly. There was something in front of me that was a destination. I could not make it out. It was light, but I couldn't. And everything was flying by so fast. And I saw people unable to hang on. And they began, not everybody by any means, but began to peel off. And I knew it was an acceleration. And then the Holy Spirit said something. And I shared it with my people that very morning, I believe. If not, it was the following week. This is what he said to me in September of 2019. He said, the world around you is about to change so rapidly that it'll seem like it happened overnight. And then, of course, six months later, our part of the world was locked down. And uh, not all of Missouri was, but, you know, our county was. And that, I would, I would say, qualifies as a massive change. And I remembered a, a vision a lady had, or it was a dream, I can't remember, that used to be in our church. How many of you remember those, those I realize you have to be of a certain age because we don't let kids do stuff like this anymore because we're helicopter parents and we hover. But we used to have these merry-go-round things that you could do this, you know, and get to going really, really fast. And they had those steel things on the side. And, and the fun thing to do was to get the guys who could to hang on, you know, you know they would, uh, and you're going as fast as you can fit like this. And then, you know, to see how long, and then you get off and, you know. But it was to hang on with everything you could, you know, like this. And if you were, and the closer to the center of the, the merry-go-round you were, of course, the less the centrifugal force. And so, you know, and so that's why we would all move to the outside because we wanted the full benefit, you know, <laughs> slash punishment. You know, I've, I've seen more than one person come flying off one of those things and cack their head on one of the, you know, and me lying there. And, uh, you know, those, we don't let children take those kind of risks anymore, <laughs> you know, so, which explains why we're, you know, not all there. But in her vision, Jesus was standing in the very center of the universe, and the whole universe was beginning to spin faster and faster and faster, which goes along with exactly what I saw. And the Lord looked down and spoke to her and called her by name and said, get closer to me, get closer to me, get closer to me, get closer to me. Well, the reason for that's obvious. When you're right there, it's easy to hang on. Just grab hold of him. It's easy to hang on there. But the further we get from him, Pastor Kevin said this morning about, you know, that distance. We cannot afford distance. Not anymore. We don't have the luxury, the uh, the environment around us has so changed and has become so much more austere, spiritually speaking, than it was when, you know, I'm 60, I'll be 68. And, uh, you know, hey, that senior discount works pretty well. I want you to know. I, I've got him to where I even asked, do you do that? Do you, do you, what, what? It, yeah, there you go. You know, anywhere I can save a buck, I'm going to. So um, I want to I read a passage of scripture today that, Maybe we'll bring some things that, about which you haven't uh, thought. And it's John chapter 4. I want to begin reading. The first part of it is just uh, uh, a setting. But then it gets into something that there's a lot more there than meets the eye. And it's John chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee. And when he 
and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, we all know about the Samaritans. And he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, you know, we don't think about Jesus getting tired, but he did. Being wearied from his journey, wearied from his journey sitting thus, was sitting thus by the well, and it was about noon. And it came about that a woman of Samaria, uh, that there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Yes, he paid his own way. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman? Then John tells us in a little editorial insert, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And she said to him, Sir, you have nothing with which to draw. The well is deep. Where do you get this living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. And Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never thirst but the water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life and the woman said to him sir give me this water so that I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw and he said to her go call your husband and come here and the woman said I have no husband and Jesus said you have correctly said I have no husband for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have now is not your husband. This you have said truly. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. You think? Our fathers worshipped in this. That, there's the clue light. The little clue light just went on. Okay. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. She's talking about Gerizim. Worshipped in this mountain. And you, play, you people say that Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming that neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers, let's all say true worshipers, true worshipers, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit. Those, or a spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. God is seeking. God is pursuing us. God woos the sinner. God woos the believer. He wants us in a tight, close, intimate, personal relationship with him. And Jesus broached, or breached, I should say, all of the conventions by you know, asking this woman for a drink. Because remember, the Samaritans were dogs in the eyes of the Jews. They actually called them that. 
And so, uh, how many of you ever watched a Charlie Brown special? How many of you remember Lucy Van Pelt going, Dog germs! Dog germs! And when, when Snoopy would just give her a little kiss, you know? And so literally, in the eyes of a Pharisee, or a Sadducee in particular, Jesus is willing to drink out of the dog's dish. And she was startled by this. Number two, he was talking to her. You remember when the disciples came up, they go, why are you talking to her? What is going on? But they didn't want to say anything. Why? Well, because he is the lead head of the ministry, so maybe we, you know. And so she says, how is it that you being a Jew, you know, and so we get into this, we get into this discussion, and I want you to see the gravity. You know, maybe you hadn't noticed this before, but Jesus himself specifically mentions here, I'm going to move this down just a little bit, so maybe I'll quit popping it. Uh, he said, she's, you know, she goes in to defend their version of worship, which wasn't all that different because they had what was known as the Samaritan Pentateuch, and, and they knew right from wrong. They had a lot of the same scriptures that the, that the Jews did. There were some significant differences, but not morally you know, or ethically, anything of that nature. And, and so she starts this discussion, and he says... Um, he comes down to here and he says, oh, I'm going to find the exact verse so you can. He says, salvation is from the Jews. Notice she starts talking about where, you know, where to worship. And he says, you don't, you don't, you don't even know what you're doing. We know what we're doing for salvation. So he told her two things that we're afraid to tell people nowadays. Number one. You're wrong. You're wrong. We, you know, I'm sure she was highly offended. Probably went out and got on Facebook. I met this guy, Jesus, and, <laughs> you know, don't listen to him. And he said, you're wrong. And number two, he told her, quite frankly, the way you're going will not save you. It will not save you. And... Everybody wants to worship in their own way. Everybody wants to do their own thing. Everybody want, but the scripture is pretty specific that God has expectations of us. He gives us some things, you know, and we're going we're, to, we'll keep going with this. God is not seeking just converts. He wants sons and daughters. He wants a relationship. You'll notice that when Jesus was talking to her, he didn't even use the word God until the very end, and he referred to the Father. That is a relationship. That's not, see, God wants to be in relationship with us. He wants it to be a close, personal relationship. Jesus used the term Father. I want you to think about this. Over in John 3.16, everyone in this room, I'm sure, can quote it. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world. The word love there is the word agape, agapao, which need not have an emotional component in it. But that's what he tells us, love your enemies. That's the word he uses. Well, he's not telling us that we have to have warm, fuzzy feelings for our enemies. What he's telling us is that we have to be, we have to treat them ethically, 
with respect, do them no wrong. That's what that means. That's the way God deals with the whole world. But when you get over to John 16 and 26, he's getting ready to, to, to go to heaven. He's getting ready for the passion. And he's speaking very frankly with his disciples at the end because he's got a lot of things to share with them and he's got a very condensed period of time in which to do it. And he says, in that day, you will ask in, uh, in that day, you will ask in my name. I do not say to you that I will request the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. That word where it says the Father himself loves you, that's not the word agapao. It is the word phileo. The word which comes from, philia means to kiss. God loves us with warm fuzzies. When we come to Jesus and we become his own, his attitude toward us deepens in a, in a sense that it's no longer, this is, I, I no longer love you like I love everybody. You're one of mine. And he wants that relationship to be up close, personal, intense, and supernatural. That's his desire for all of us, to walk in that supernatural. Worship is not an activity. It is a relationship. When we stand and we raise our hands and do this, we call it worship, but what that really is, is adoration. Because worship is our relationship with Him. Uh, Webster defines worship as an extravagant devotion. An extravagant devotion. When you are devoted to someone, if, and, and, it, and when you take that word extravagant, it means no price is too high. No sacrifice is too great. And so if I am worshiping, or if I'm adoring from a heart of worship, that is what the Father is seeking. If I'm singing the songs from something else, it becomes praise. Now, there's nothing wrong with praise. Praise is good. Praise is becoming to the upright and all that. But you know what? We, uh, if in the tabernacle... There was outer court, and then there was inner court. And the outer court, the Gentiles can come into the outer court, and they can praise. But if you really want to get into the very presence of God, there has to be something happening here. And Jesus has made the way for us to enter into the very presence of the Father. Don't misunderstand me. I do not believe that there are first, second, or third class Christians, any way, shape, or form. But I do believe there are those who, well, Jesus told, appeared to 500 people at one time, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians, over 500 brethren at one time after the resurrection. I'm certain he told them the same thing he told the disciples, the rest of the apostles, stay in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father. How many were there on the day of Pentecost? 120, which is about a fourth and that's really what you would expect. I mean, you take the, the parable of the sower and the soils, only about a fourth of the seed actually produced fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. A lot of them, well, something else happened. When, if you know, this is a great romance. I want you to think about that. And that's exactly the way the Father looks at it, you know. There's courtship. 
I remember the day I saw my wife for the first time ever, like, I mean, I can close my eyes and I can still see it. Because I was with a friend of mine, I was in the army, she was in the army, we were in West Berlin, Germany, when it was still West Berlin. And this friend of mine, you know, we were off, just coming off duty, uh, Kathy and, and Lorena were not on duty, they were in civvies, we were all going to the mail place to check our mail. They were coming in with this, this big German barracks that has a, a breezeway in the middle, and David and I were coming from one side, and she and Lorena were coming from another, from the other side. And as we walked in, I looked and I saw her, and it was like, man, I was riveted to her, as were a lot of other guys in that company. <laughs> but I. It, it just, you know, in fact, we were working at, at, the, at the hill, the Teufelsberg, Devil's Mountain. It was a big uh, listening post. We were listening to Russians and East Germans and Polsky. Uh, and they, uh, we were, you know, a friend of mine comes in and says, you know, is that your wife? After we got married, he goes, is that your wife sitting down in K, subsystem K? And I said, yeah. He goes, she doesn't belong in the Army. She, is like, she's supposed to be sitting behind a desk somewhere filing her nails. And, you know, the, you know, and I started, who is that? And all this stuff. And she had all these guys hanging on her, everybody, you know, like that. But, you know, it, it's nice to have a one-up with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I was the one who led her into the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and the rest, as they say, is history. The fact is... Well, she had a call on her life to ministry, and she wasn't sure what to do with it. She was just like I was, but, you know, that early on. But it's so, how many of you remember your first crush? And it's, there is a difference between mature love and infatuation. Infatuation is about me. You're so beautiful. Man, I'll tell you what, you're going to look great riding around with me. And I'm going to look even better riding around with you. You know, and... The, 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 you know, my lady love or the, the hunk, if you're, you know, a young woman, becomes a possession rather than a partner. I mean, you know what I'm saying? And in other words, as long as you do to suit me, we're in great shape here. That's infatuation. That is not, that's not love. It is a soulish love. It is a selfish love. That's why Jesus said in spirit, not in the soul. And it is possible to come and sing praise and have an emotional experience and not touch God, not hear from Him. The where the, uh, the, I was gobsmacked when I saw that. I was watching. I, I'm not a big fan of country and western music. Some of it I like, you know, both kinds of music, country and western. And some of it I like. Some of it is, you know, like not so much. I was a rocker when I was a kid growing up, and so. Uh, but one day, I was watching, when I was watching television, I was jumping through the cha channels, and there was a special, I think it may have been on PBS, but I'm not sure, about Garth Brooks. Does anybody know who Garth Brooks is? Everybody knows who Garth Brooks is. Never heard of him. Yeah. Anyway, well, I'll go get my hat. Maybe it'll come back to you. And Garth is from our area, actually. He's from northeastern Oklahoma. I think Claremore is it or something like that. Well, anyway, they... We're following his career and uh, going to various concerts and showing certain things. And they showed one concert that he was up there singing, I don't know the song, 
because I don't know really. I think friends in low places. I think it's does he sing that song? Yeah, I, that's probably the only one I, that he does that I you know. And uh, and I'm not anti Garth Brooks. Don't anybody go out of here thinking that. I'm just using him as an example because I saw this on TV with my own eyes, and he's there. He's he's up there playing something, and down in front of the I guess they call it the mosh pit or whatever it is. There's a whole bunch of people down there standing, and their arms are linked, you know, together, hand, you know, arm in arm, and they're swaying and singing this song. And they're doing a camera pan of this, and I'm looking at these people, and I'm here to tell you some of these guys look like neo-Nazi skinhead people you do not want to meet in a dark alley. It's like rough characters. And they're standing there, linked arm in arm, waves, you know, weaving back and forth, and singing this song, and tears running down their faces. And I'm going, man, if you turn down the volume, you'd think these people were worshiping. Are you with me? They went out of there. Have, and so today, what we do is we, we appeal to the soulish man. Uh, you know, and I hope I don't get myself in trouble with anybody, particularly my other brother, Kevin, uh, over there. But, you know, one of the things we don't do in our church when we worship is turn the lights off. And we don't, you know, uh, you know I, and I've been in churches where they do that, and I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm just saying we turn the lights down, then we have all these pretty pictures that show up. And, and a friend of mine even used a smoke machine for a while, you know. And... And there was a fellow, I can't remember what country he was from, but he came and he went to one of our big worship services and says, boy, you Americans don't even need the Holy Spirit anymore. He said, you've got it all produced. And look, what it, look at the fruit that it has not produced in our culture. You know, um, the Father, we, we can come, we can raise our hands, we can sing the song, cry crocodile tears. But if we, like so many in the younger generation, walk out that door and go back into that shack up relationship with our girlfriend, and we're both Christians and we think it's all okay, and I have talked to people who believe that. They say, well, you know, it's a different generation. It's not the same as it was. I remember when Billy Graham, you know, back, I'm a, I remember the 60s, because I was just a kid, but I remember the 60s, and we had the new morality. Everybody remember that? And he said the new morality is nothing but the old immorality. And that is absolutely the truth. And we've done away with anything that offends God. Just, you know, it's all, you know, the, the, it's called finished works theology, easy believism, hyper grace, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, I even read a book, and I'll call it the shack, where it says, "I never." Where God says, "I never put," I think it was God the God the Mama said, "I never put," because God appears several different ways in this book, and says, "I never put any, you know, you know, uh, any kind of requirement on anybody." Well, I don't know what what Bible God the Mama was reading, because my Bible God does say, "Come on, come on, come on." How many of you with me here? All right, the Father. Does my, my, my point is that we can have a soulish experience, an emotional experience, and walk out of there going, oh, wasn't that great? But it doesn't 
change us. When we have a divine encounter, it changes us. It might not be humongous, but you keep coming, you keep coming, you keep coming. Let me tell you, you go outside in the Nevada sun and you don't have any sunscreen on, you're going to change. You will change. I promise you, you will change. All right? It's the same way. We keep coming to the Father, and the Father, you know, and we don't hide behind a bunch of stuff, all that. The Father, the Father doesn't want to go steady. The Father doesn't want to shack up. This woman was shacked up. It is not accidental that that was, that that particular detail came out. Remember, Jesus was, well, he was the Son of God. He was God in the flesh. Yahweh number two, the, you know, the, the, the word made flesh. He ne- very God of very God the whole time. But the Holy Spirit is the one who revealed that to him because he walked the earth just as you and I do. And because he is our example. And when he said, go call your husband and come here, that was because the Holy Spirit, by word of knowledge, had communicated to him what was going on. And when she said, I have no husband, he said, you've said, that, you've said that right, because you've been married five times, and the guy you're shacked up with now is not your husband. He wasn't condemning her. He had already offered her the, the water of life. But what he was wanting her to know is that, number one, you know, your religion, your worship that you are so quick to defend against Jews isn't really doing a whole lot for you, is it? It's not changing you. I... We recently had some legal situations through which we, you know, when you, when you sang the song about it, if I'd never been, I'd, it was a new one to me, but uh, if I'd never been in a desert place, how would I know you, something like that. And it was a desert place for, for us, and I was talking with our paralegal, and she said, she said, used to be we would uh, do a lot of custody cases but now we do guardianships, almost, almost, she said probably 90 to 95% of them are guardianships. I said, well, why is that? She said, because people don't get married anymore. She said, they have children, they move in together. And see, the problem with that is there's no commitment. And true worship is commitment. Are you with me? True worship is commitment. When I, you know, when, when Kathy said yes, we stood up in front of my pastor, and I forsook all others to cling only to her. I made that commitment. I made that promise. And in the ensuing 46 years, uh, we have, uh, we, by the grace of God, that's been, uh, that's been the, the case. And the Father wants us to... Uh, I, you know, it's, it's easy to shack up because that way then there's no commitment. If you don't do to suit me, I can walk. And we cannot have that attitude with the Father. I cannot cherry pick when he begins to talk to me about stuff. I, I, you know, he gives me the dignity of choice, but, well, let me give you an example. When we were finishing, after we got out of the Army, uh, we came back, and I went to Bible college for four years. And at the third year of Bible college, I made the decision. I had seen it. I was in a mainline denominational church, Pentecostal denominational church, and I'd seen politics in the ministry. 
I know it's hard to believe, but they're there. <laughs> and I made the decision I didn't want any part of that. You know what? I don't need this, you know. And I had always wanted to fly. So I went down to see the Navy. And I've already been in the Army. Now I go down to see the Navy. And they signed me up to go to uh, flight school in Pensacola. All I had to do was graduate. I was barely going to be young enough. And I would go to Pensacola and would, you know, uh, train to fly. You know, I went, at the time the frontline fighter was the F-14 Tomcat. I probably would have wound up with something like, you know, a, an E-2 Hawkeye or, you know, a Greyhound or something like that. But everybody wants to fly, you know, turn and burn, Mach 3, hair on fire, the whole, whole shooting match, you know. Uh, and that's me, you know, I ride motorcycles, I sky, I'm a skydiver, I, you know, I, I scuba dive, I, it's, you know, I, 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 it's like, let's try this. So, anyway, um, and I've had some really close calls. So, in fact, one time when I had a, a malfunction, I looked up over my head, and I was spinning like this, and I had a line over, and my back was to the earth, and I was spinning like a dog on the end of a rope, trying and I said, you know what, I'm going to die like this. And so I grabbed hold of my cutaway handle, which chops your mane, and I grabbed hold of my reserve deployment handle. And when I pulled them, you go, like that, goodbye mane, hello reserve. And I literally said, in Jesus' name, you know. <laughs> I did, you know. No atheists in foxholes. And so, you know, I was, you know, I was, I, and the Navy said, sure, they I mean, they tested me, you know, they looked, they probed me, they looked in my eyes, they, I had written, and they said, yep, you know, come on, you know, this will be your report date, we'll get you to Pensacola, put you through the uh, officer candidate school, and then straight into flight school. I was so excited about it, and the Holy Spirit started saying, no. He has no sense of humor at all. You're not going to, that's not my will for you. Now, would he let me do that? The answer is yes. I wonder how many people will stand up before him on that day and hear, what were you thinking? <laughs> that wasn't my will for you, and you know it, you know. And uh, a guy came preach for us one time and said, for many people, when the fire falls, then you, you know, to burn up the wood, hay, and stubble, he said, then you can pick up your, your reward, stick it in your pocket, and enter on into eternity. I don't want to do that. I want them to have to back up the truck. And, I mean, my wife will tell you that it was misery to be around me for the next four months. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. I mean, I go, Navy, uh, grad school, Navy, grad school, Navy, grad school, Navy, 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 Navy. No, God, Navy, grad school. Then he showed me to, you know, he... he he showed me to move to, to Tulsa, go to ORU, and all that. And I'm like, no, no, no. Do you know how much that costs and all this? And then one day as I, was, as I was praying, I had an inward revelation, and I saw Jesus sitting at the right hand of God, and his eyes were swollen and red. And I knew he had been weeping over me. And I went, whoa. I don't think that's good. And so I said, okay, God. I'll do, I'll do what you want me to do. And I sometimes wonder what life would have been like. You know, maybe I'd have gone on to be a 777 pilot for um, American or Delta. Or maybe one day as the carrier came into Yakuska, you know, there would have been my F-14 stuck in the bow of it, 
and me still in it. When I said I do to that woman and to the Lord, it changed my life because sacrifices ensued. Responsibilities ensued. We are on a trip as mid-60s adults on a trip that is largely being controlled by a five-year-old. <laughs> I gotta go pee-pee. You know, no more Gatorade for you. I can say that my grandson has done his best to irrigate half of Nevada all by himself. <laughs> you have to put the other, if, if, it's gonna, if the marriage is going to last, it's not 50-50, it's 100-100, and you have got to put that other person before you, and that is exactly the kind of relationship. We, you know, when she said, I want you to think about this, she said, Sir, give me this water that I may not have to come all this way to drink. Everybody's looking for something to make their life easier. And that's so much of North American Christianity today is God wants to bless you. God wants to keep you safe. God wants to do this for you. And God wants to just pile it on you and all this. And everybody, yeah, 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 just pour it on, pour it on. But then, but God wants you to grow up and become spiritual. He wants you to be mature. He wants you to begin to bear fruit. Remember that, John 15? In this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Wow. He wants me to bear fruit. And a worshiper, a true worshiper, someone who is walking in that worship relationship with God, for, spiritually speaking, is married to the Father. We are the bride of Christ, are we not? In 1 Kings chapter 19, remember the incident on Carmel, where Elijah stood out there, and they had the 400 prophets of Baal and 450 of the Asherah, or the other way around. Asherah was the female consort of Baal, which just means master. And it's interesting, talk about counterfeit. Baal was not even the highest god. He was, El was the highest god, and Baal was his grand vizier. Baal was the counterfeit of the, the living word. And, you know, the, Jezebel was the daughter of Etbaal, the king of the Sidonians, and he was, uh, you know, I serve Baal is what his name means. And so she was a huge Baal worshiper, put the prophets of the Lord to death. You may remember that when Obadiah found, you know, when Elijah presented himself to Obadiah, he said, you go tell Ahab, and Ahab had been looking for him for how long? He said, you go tell Ahab to meet me on Carmel, and we're going to have a little contest. And Obadiah said, if this is your plan to get me killed, remember I'm on your side. He said, Did it not, was it not told you that when Jezebel was slaughtering the, 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 the prophets of the Lord that I hid them by fifties in caves and fed them bread and water? Man, I'm on your side. Just as soon as you tell me you're going to be there, I'm... God's going to whisk you away to some faraway mountain and I will lose my head. And he says, no, I'll be there. And remember when they did the prophets of Baal and all this, and he said, if Yahweh is God, serve him. If Baal is God, serve him. And the people answered him not a word. 
Why? It was politically incorrect to be a Yahweh worshiper. Politically incorrect. Could cost you your life, cost you your business. We've never been in a situation, we can see it coming perhaps, but we've never been in a situation that tense. We know the fire fell. The, the false prophets were, were, were slain. The people fell on their faces and said, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. And they began immediately to act on their faith at the prophet. But the next day, Jezebel sends him a message when she finds out and says, may God do so to me and the gods do so to me, or even more so if by this time tomorrow you're not just like one of them. And Elijah didn't just leave town, he left the country. I mean, he went all the way south. To, he left Israel, went all the way across Judah, all the way out there in the middle, and they've torn down mine altars, and they've killed my prophets, and I alone am left. I am no better than my father. Just kill me. Yeah, exactly. Remember when he was in the cave, and, and there was the, the wind and the earthquake and all that, and then finally there was that still small voice, gentle blowing. He wraps his face in his mantle because he doesn't want to see God. And he walks out there. What was God's first word to him? What are you doing here, Elijah? And what does he go on to say to him? He, he, he complain, complains. And in 1 Kings 19, 18, God says to him, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not what? Have we got it up? Oh, I thought we had it up there. Sorry. Every mouth that has not kissed him. Let me read that again. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. You know you can bow your knee without kissing him? I want to do both. In fact, over in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said this, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Turn to somebody and say, this is New Testament. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. doesn't mean you won't go to heaven. We're not saved by works. I understand that. But he tells, he tells us what he means by that in verse 39. He who has found his life will lose it. That was exactly the path down which I was headed. I was going to fly. I was going to, everything was going to be awesome. And Man, I mean, I told him, I said, Lord, I'll get my plane captain saved. I'll get the, you know, I'll be, I'll be a real light for you in the ready room. It's just going to be great. He was unimpressed, to say the least. But I would have found my life, but I also would have lost it. Because how long would I have been in the Navy? Maybe 10 years, 20 years, something like I'd have gone to retirement. Uh, you know, how long will I be in eternity? Well, a long time. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life, who has said, 
Lord, your will over mine. Imagine that in your life is a throne, and you and I are given the right and the privilege of sitting on that throne if we so desire. God, Jesus says, if you'll let me sit there, you'll like it better. But it's hard to turn loose of that. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. I can tell you personally that there have been dozens of occasions where I told Jesus, get off, and I sat down and made decisions and then had to say, uh, Lord, um, you know, if you want to come and, you know. And he is so faithful. He is so, so faithful. That's the attitude of worship. Loving him more than father or mother. Loving him more than son or daughter. Taking up my cross daily. You know that that particular admonition right there where he tells him that to pick up the cross shows up four times in the Gospels. That means more, you know, and it doesn't show up in, in well, he says something very similar in John, but I'm not even counting that one. And you know, when, when I was in school, when the teacher said something four times, you could pretty well bet it was going to be on the test. Adoration means a complete sellout. I've been in, I've stood, I've stood in the door of aircraft that were three miles off the, off the ground. Let me tell you something, when you jump out of an airplane, that's what they call total commitment. You know, one of the things they teach you is that when you reach over here to deploy your reserve, don't grab this thing that looks a little bit like a handle and pull on that because it won't deploy the reserve. And they jokingly say, you will pull on that for the rest of your life, all nine seconds of it. And uh, I've seen people freeze in the door. I've seen, peop seen people that thought everything was good until push came to shove, and they just really couldn't, you know, and what time is it? Oh, I'll tell you a cute story. I'm told I can go until 1. Is that right? One, one o'clock. <laughs> 2. All right. Wherever your confidence really is, if you want to know where your faith is, I had faith that my equipment would work, even before it worked for me personally. But this really happened. Cessna 170 up in Canada took off with a pilot who only had about 200 hours. Way too few, but he was a skydiver. In addition to that, you know, hundreds and hundreds of jumps. In the back of the airplane were two free fall students and a first time jumper along with the jump master. And as he's climbing, and I'm a pilot, so I know what he did. As he was climbing, he got too much of a nose up attitude and the airplane stalled. Well, in a high wing aircraft, a Cessna, one wing will quit flying before the other wing does. They'll never quit at the same time. And when that happens, it'll do a roll. And if you don't know how to control it, it could go into a spin. Well, he was flying, again, too inexperienced, and one wing quit flying because he stalled it, and the airplane actually righted itself, at which time he, the pilot, went out the door. Yeah. And, I mean, this is a true story. The, he jumped. Yeah, he had a pilot rig on. What happened was something he didn't expect happened. 
and his confidence was more in that parachute on which he was sitting than it was in his ability to fly the airplane. And so now we've got two free fall students, a first time jumper and a jump, oh, I forgot to tell you, the jump master fell out. So when the airplane did this, the door is open, the jump master falls out, the airplane comes back to straight and level, and the pilot jumps out. So here is a first-time jumper standing there going, uh, and the two free-fall students, who had probably 10, 12 jumps between them, scramble past him saying, you better get off. <laughs> out the door they go. And so here's the airplane slowly losing altitude because he had it trimmed up pretty well and it's, and it's losing altitude, losing altitude and this guy's sitting there going, what do I do? Well, he'd already been trained so he knew what to do. And so, do you ride the air, do, oh, what are you going to do? You're going to get in there and fly the airplane down? Do you know how to do that? Are you going to stand, are you going to get out and and, and do what you've been trained to do, or do you just burn up in the crash? And so at, I don't know what altitude he was. He finally said, you know what, I'm going to die. So he, he decided to try to at least save himself. He jumped out, threw out his parachute. It came out. He landed without incident. Nobody was hurt except the airplane, which got seriously bent. <laughs> You've got to make a decision. I've seen people freeze in the door. And they don't want to go. But if you're not afraid, if you trust him, and your relationship with him is that tight, and no matter what happens, you get to see stuff, you get to go places that you never thought possible. I can remember standing on the back of a Casa 212, a tailgate aircraft. We're at 15,000 feet, and I'm standing there looking at the ground because they've told us that we're, we're about a minute out from jump, and so we're... We're standing there with the team that I'm with, and we're, we're standing there, and I'm looking. And bound below me are little white cumulus, you know, puffy cumulus clouds. Fair, we call them fair weather cumulus. And the sunshine coming off at that altitude, and you guys understand altitude here, coming up, you know, for us, 15,000 feet is really high. Here, not so much. But... I'm standing there hanging on to that thing, looking at that, and the sunshine off of those clouds was so bright that I could actually see my iris on my retina getting buried. I asked my ophthalmologist later if I was imagining that. He said, no, you were not. He said, when the light is bright enough, you can actually have that experience. And the, when, the, when the buzzer goes off and we go out, it is pure exhilaration. There's no fear there because... We, we know what we're doing. If flying in an airplane, if riding in an airplane is flying, then riding in a boat is swimming. You gotta get out. And when, <laughs> that'll sink in. It, wait for it. Gotta get out of the vehicle. Experience the element. And I've seen things, and that is, Kevin talked about some of the stuff. We have been through some stuff together. And he was a real comfort to us when we were, we have a Russian daughter, and she is, has become such a blessing to our church and to our family. And she has presented me with two Ruski uh, Fanuki, uh, two Russian grandsons that one of them is 11 years old and is as tall as I am, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, great kids. But if we hadn't had the courage to follow the Lord, because we were standing in 
in Murmansk, Virchnitsolomsky uh, uh, actually, and, and Kathy comes up to me and says, I think we're supposed to adopt that girl. Okay, well, what do you tell your wife? No. Yeah, not if you're smart, right? <laughs> and we, Kevin and Tanya can tell you, we went through hell on earth uh, with her. But, but we knew what the Lord had said to us. We knew his will. We knew what he had said to do. And when you're a worshiper, it doesn't matter what it costs. It doesn't matter where it takes you. It doesn't matter because that's what the truth is. When he says spirit and truth, the word truth also, it, the Greeks didn't have as many words. That, you know, we've got over 600,000 words in the English language. They had, in biblical Greek, we've got, well, probably less than 10,000. And so the word aletheia, the word, for the word that means truth, also means reality. And so we enter into that which is, and think about this. And all three, whether it's Matthew 24, Luke 21, or Mark 13, those are the three passages of Scripture where the apostles come to him and say, what will be the signs of your coming? Right? First thing out of his mouth in all three Gospels is, see to it that you are not misled. That tells you all you need to know about the character of the last days. Deception. Lies. In fact, over in 2 Timothy 3, I believe it's verse uh, 13, where he says, uh, verse 1, where it says, savage, the word chalapoi, there, they say difficult. That is a way under translation. It means to be, for they will be violent and they will be dangerous. Times will come. For men will become lovers of self and lovers of money. You know the rest of it. And he says, evil men and imposters, King James Version says seducers. The word translated imposters or seducers is actually the Greek word for a verbal magician, spin doctors, people who can, who can make the truth seem, you know. And we're seeing it today, aren't we? We're seeing it where, you know, think about this, when they, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. That's what gives them their, what they feel is the right to cancel the good is because they're evil, and they think of good as being evil. And so you're evil, and we're going to cancel you. That's not going to get better. It's not going to get better. That's why Jesus told the lady in my church, get closer to me, get closer to me, get closer to me. That's why in that acceleration, we've got to be, that I saw, we have to have a hold of him, and we can't. And, and the only way to do that is in true worship and adoration when we come together and we begin to worship and if our musicians would, would come we're going to go ahead and close here I can't do this thing I'll just be honest with you I cannot um, I can't do it I have to have help anybody know what I'm talking about that's what the grace of God is. The grace of God isn't forgiveness. That's part of it. But the grace of God is the anointing of God that comes to enable me to change. Change the way I talk. Change the way I think. Change the way I see things, perceive things. All of that. And I was, uh, I tell this, my congregation knows this story by heart. And that is that I, uh, when I was in the Army, I was, you know, even younger, 
I was, you know, I used to have a problem with swearing like a sailor. I wasn't a sailor, I was a soldier. And believe me, soldiers can swear as well as sailors. <laughs> in fact, swearing and complaining are raised to an art form. And those of you who are in the Army or the Navy or the Air Force or the Coast Guard know exactly what I'm, or Marines, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I just struggled. I struggled. I could not. And the day that I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, the night before, I'd had a tirade at work when I had a piece of equipment fail on me, and we lost a very valuable piece of intelligence. And I was just fit to be tied. And, they, and when I was filled with the Spirit, it just, I mean, yeah, I spoke in tongues and all that. I'd never even heard of speaking in tongues to speak of until I'd never heard anybody until I did. And about three weeks later, I was going into the, the bathroom, going into the restroom on my, in our, the place we worked up on the hill. And just as I was reaching for the door to go out, it came, swung in. Just as I reached for the door, one of my, uh, one of my guys on my shift, Doug Fry, good guy, kicks the door open from the outside jamming it straight into my fingers. Just bam, like that. Didn't break anything, but it hurt like fire. And I went, oh, man, if I wasn't a Christian, I would cuss. <laughs> and then I went, wait a minute. I didn't cuss. When did that happen? And I got to thinking. You know what? I haven't cussed in a couple of weeks. What? Ow, that still hurts. But I, it just, the Lord just took it out of me. Amen. That's the way. That's that proximity. That's that intimacy. That's that when you have a heart of a, when, when I When I got filled with the Spirit, I didn't say, oh, God, give me tongues. Give me tongues. I didn't do that. I said, Lord, I don't know about this stuff. I was raised a Methodist and Baptist, you know. I, you know, and I, I said, Lord, whatever you have for me, I want, because I want to serve you, and I can tell you without fear of successful contradiction, what I'm doing right now isn't working very well. And the next thing I knew, His hand was on me, changed me forever, forever. But it was His doing. So when we come together, and the worship team is leading, and they and I and I uh, heard Alex say something about worshiping the Lord, and 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 uh, sister, I've forgotten your name. I'm sorry, Cassidy. Cassidy. Say something to the, you know, about extemporaneous worship, and we do that in our church, extemporaneous worship, and it's and it is such a blessing. It allows the the, the prophetic presence to flow. And by prophetic, I don't necessarily mean lots of utterances, although we have that but it is where the Holy Spirit can meet us individually. And I'm going to talk more about this on Tuesday. It meet us individually because that is what it takes. God is not looking for reformation. He's looking for transformation. Amen. Reformation is where you teach your dog to quit pottying on the carpet. Transformation is where the dog becomes a bird. Something completely different. Amen. Notice I didn't say cat. God wouldn't change anything into a cat. <laughs> the, there is a complete change. 
It's a transformation, not a reformation. Uh, I don't want to go through life. You know what a dry drunk is? You yeah. guys know what a dry drunk is? Somebody that has not, they don't drink anymore, but they've still got all the problems internally life. that led them to drink to begin with. And they go through life white knuckling it like mm -hmm. somebody on an airliner that's too, so afraid to fly. And they're just <laughs> like that. I don't want to go through life that way. I want to go through life enjoying my life, enjoying my Lord, enjoying the people of our church, enjoying you. And, 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 and even in the midst of all the garbage we see going around us, being confident that, the and, and I know you guys get really good teaching here because I watch Kevin, you know, and you guys get really good teaching here, and he's, and he's telling you, you know, quit looking around and seeing the devil and everything. God is at work, and that is absolutely the truth. And if I know that, then I realize that all this artillery going off around me is friendly. And if I'll just stay where the Father, here's another army reference, if I'll just be in position, I don't have to worry about it. That he'll, he'll see to it. That I, that I, you know, I want to read one last, I understand Kevin says, last scripture. Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is opened wide. You are not held back by us, but you're held back by your own, uh, the, the things you love. You, you love the wrong things. So now in like an exchange I speak as to children, open wide to us too. Don't be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? And what fellowship have light with darkness? What harmony has Christ with uh, Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God has said. Listen to this. I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore... Come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Don't touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves of all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness. You know, holiness is not a bad word. Are you with me here? <coughs> holiness is not a bad word. Perfecting holiness. When we jump out of airplanes, we don't just fall like rocks to the earth. We do stuff. We perform, we have, we do formations. We, you know, we'll sometimes rotate, we'll, we turn points and everything. How do we do that? We do it by using our bodies as airfoils, primitive airfoils. And there are certain things you can do. You know, when you, if you do like this, it'll, slow you down, you can get big, hug the ball, it'll slow you down, you get small, you go faster, you tilt, and you turn. And you control yourself by the relative wind. God is the wind around us. And he's saying, do this, and we just flow through him. Maybe he's water, if you want to use this. He's, he's, he's like water. For me, water is, and I'll talk about it a little bit on Tuesday night, there was more to that thing about moving through the water than is readily apparent. But, you know, when you move through the water, what do you do? When it, you, ever, you ever, do they have bluegill here? Bluegill fish, do you have bluegill? Okay, well, you know, when I was doing my diving thing, bluegill, they're bright, they're idiots. They'll come, I mean, we'd 
pick up a, you know, one of those little muscle-looking things off the bottom of the lake and cut it up and hold it in your hand, and the bluegill will come eat them right out of your hand. Just try to catch one of those fish. <coughs> You're not going to do it because you reach and it, I mean, they are gone. And that is exactly the way we should move in the Holy Spirit. You come to the place. I mean, my wife is never far from my mind. Wherever I am, you know, it, she's never far from my mind because she is my, she is my mate. She is my partner in life. And wherever I go, the Father and the, and the Son are never far. I mean, they are right there with me. I am God aware all of the time. And you talk about something that will make a difference in the way you approach your life. And that is the essence of a heart of a worshiper. Is that I am aware of the Lord's presence 24-7, 365. Mm -hmm. Whatever comes to me, I know that I rest. You can go ahead and begin to play. I'll just whatever you have. We're not going to do that other thing. Uh, the, uh, we're shipping on the fly up here. Uh, you uh, and, and and I'm you know one of my guys told me now be sure not to move too far around when you're preaching with Kevin. Okay, so is this too far? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yes, yeah. The the Father desires coming back and closing with with the scripture with which we started. So I guess that wasn't the last scripture. Uh, Lion preachers. Well, when Paul says finally, it doesn't mean anything. He writes a lot more into that. Um, the Father seeks these to be his worshipers. The Father pursues. I want you to think about that. The Father loves us enough that he came in the person of Jesus to save us. And he didn't just come to save us. He came to change us. I want to challenge a lot of theology that I hear out there today. I want you to know that our Father is much more concerned about your personal character and your personal spiritual development than He is your prosperity and comfort. Amen. Uh, and, and, you know, He is concerned about prosperity. He is concerned about comfort. I preach prosperity, but that is not the most second important thing or even second or third. Character. He says, come on. Be like me. We were made to be transformed from glory to glory, Paul says, and from, you know, from and faith to faith. And as our faith in Him, and the and the closer you get to Him, the easier it is to believe. I want you to think about your own walk. Those of you who've been walking with the Lord more than, you know, a couple of years, there were things that used to be a real challenge for your faith that today. Easy peasy, one, two, three. Why is that? Because you've grown. You've matured. You've developed. God has, you know, God has even more. And one of the things that I've... Um, I'm, <clears throat> does anybody besides me notice that as you grow with the Lord, the way gets more narrow? Yeah. You know what I want to talk about? It was always that narrow. Right. <laughs> You're just now noticing. Yeah. And the Father still stayed with us even when we were a mess okay still are a mess and he is going to bring us all what did Paul say faithful is he who called you 
He will bring it to pass. It started with Him, it continues with Him, and it'll end with Him. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Everything that we are is to be about and in Him. Amen. Our Father, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, we bless you and thank you for your faithfulness to us. Lord, I pray that the words I share this morning go deep into the heart of each and every person. I ask you, anything that needs changing, Lord, before it gets there, change it. And help them to see my heart, and your heart, more importantly, your heart, and not necessarily me, the servant. That you beckon us closer, closer, closer to you. And that, Father, worship is relationship. It is an action. Those actions grow out of that relationship. There are certain things I will not do, sir, because I am married to that woman over there. There are certain things I will not do because my mouth has kissed you and will continue to do so. And you alone. Thank you, sir. Amen. And amen. We're going to do a song or two here, but give me just a minute to say something. Oh, there's so much in that message for me, and I trust that there was for you. And uh, as I'm listening to the word of the Lord this morning, and it just kept hearing in my heart the Lord just speaking these words. No more cheap worship. I have been personally dealing with several things in my life it sounds like I'm going to say something spiritual now doesn't it but it's not spiritual that are just so frustrating and they all have to do with cheap plastic things like microwave handles and really cheap stuff that you go to the store and you buy and I don't know how you are but I hate cheap things and I hate cheap clothes that you go to the store, and you look, man, I look great in that. And you get home, and it's, you look terrible in it. And you don't even know how it happened. Something about the lighting or something, but it's bad quality, cheap stuff. Yeah, you wash it once, it's done for. And, you know, my mom used to tell me when I was growing up um, a lot of things. But one of the things she'd take, because she'd drag us shopping for hours on end, but she'd make you try on stuff, try on stuff, and we didn't like it. But she would always say, I would rather spend $50, which was a lot back then, on one good item that you can wear all year round than, you know, $5 on. But you know how shopping's become. It's almost hard to find that one good item anymore. And, um, you know, as, we were, as he was sharing about, man, it just really touched me what he was sharing about how Jesus told her, you're wrong. We're, we don't tell people that anymore, do we? And what you're doing isn't working. And I just felt like the Lord saying to me, you know how you hate cheap plastic stuff? I, I when he was sharing about Jesus weeping, just, you know, I just sense in my heart the Lord is frustrated, grieved with having to constantly fix little things in our lives because our worship is so cheap. And if we would just draw nearer to him and just 
hang out in his presence, like Joshua with Moses, just be with him. Like you said about the, cu the, cu the cussing problem. I used to have that too, and I wasn't even in the military. <laughs> you just hear this stuff all the time. And this anger issues I used to have, probably do sometimes, I don't know, but man, I used to, and I would always say, well, I got red hair. And, but, yeah, I, I know, there's always some excuse. But I didn't even know how it happened, but just, it just went away. It just comes from hanging out with Jesus. And I don't know. I'm not going to talk. I just, I just want us to, I, I don't know what he's telling you, but he's telling me no more cheap worship. Amen. Let's worship the Lord. Don't forget, I have a little announcement at the end. <laughs> so let's just stand up and just worship the Lord this morning. We hope you enjoyed the message. Before you leave, we want to remind you that if you want to continue receiving updates on new sermons, that you subscribe to our podcast. If you want more information on how to contact us, make sure to check out our website at urringtonvineyardfellowship.com. And we'll see you next time on the YBF Podcast.